when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS.
Hi, I'm Bill Ripkin, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. A good day to actually have this conversation, even though neither one of us uh, had anything to do with the good news, but baseball is back. So why not speak to a man who's written many a baseball book, Eric Sherman. How are you doing, sir? Good, good, yeah. Baseball's coming back. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of hard to believe, and you know, I... I I mean, with the COVID nineteen and um, and all the labor unrest, uh, it's a small miracle that we're going to see baseball at the end of July. Yeah, that's for sure. Because uh, last I read, right uh, a little while ago, it was going to be July first for uh, a restart at spring training and the games starting the twenty third, twenty fourth. Obviously, it's good news on many reasons. Uh, what were you thinking of all the everything being a cluster uh, leading into the game, or where we're at now, I should say? Um, well, I uh, are you alluding to the labor unrest? Yeah, the labor unrest, and just for you know, nobody uh, predicted a global pandemic, so you know we can't really go there. But it was the labor stuff that really drove me nuts. Yeah, it's um well yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I went to spring training in late February out in Arizona uh to Dodgers camp and and as late as the last week of February, I mean, nobody dreamed that there wouldn't be a season. Um but um you know, nothing you can do do about it. Baseball certainly did the right thing on that front. But yeah, with the labor unrest it really is a small miracle that the two sides got got together because, um, I mean, just a few days ago, it was really looking bad. And um, I, I was kind of in the camp that um, baseball probably should have canceled the season and blamed it on COVID because right now, um, you know, I think there's kind of a black cloud over the game, over how, you know, we have 44 million unemployed in in the United States, and the two sides, you know, it was billionaires squabbling with millionaires about, you know, how and when to start up the season. So um, I'm glad that they were worked it out. I mean, um, I'll, I'll certainly watch the games, and, um, and I, you know, I think it's something that our country needs right now. Now, previously when we tried to tape this but had the bad audio, uh, right before spring training, we uh, talked about it more in depth there, but obviously we going into spring training, the hot topic was about the Astros, the Mets, the Red Sox, and everything involved with that whole scandal. With this COVID-19 and everything that's going on, do you think those guys, those teams and players may get somewhat of a pass because of time uh, going further? Yeah, I kind of do, uh, and I think the main reason for that is because 
uh, you're not going to have fans in the stands. Um, I think that's the biggest reason. You know, you may have, you know, the Dodgers pitchers throw a couple of knockdown pitches against the Astros, but but then that'll be it, I think. You know, I I mean, what's the point in pro- prolonging it or extending the retribution? I I but the fans, you know, they they never forget. I, I remember the days of Pete, Pete Rose here in New York. You know, he got into that brawl with Buddy Harrelson in the '73 National League Championship Series, and for the rest of Pete Rose's career, uh, another 13 years. He was booed vehemently by the Shea Stadium fans. Um, so I think, you know, guys like Jose Altuve, when the fans return, you know, he'll receive the wrath of their boos and everything like that. But, yeah, I think this season they totally get a pass. Well, let's get into you a little bit there. Yeah, folks, he's written multiple books with multiple people. Uh, if you want to check out everything in more specifics and links to buy the books, it's ericshermanbaseball.com. But first thing I wanted to bring up, because I thought this was interesting when doing a little homework about you, that you actually uh, go up as a lecturer once in a while to the Baseball Hall of Fame. What kind of uh, events are you doing up there when you go up? Well, um, so, yeah, I think I hold the record for giving the most lectures at the Hall of Fame. Um, at, at least that's what Bruce Markison says when he introduces me. Um, so uh, he works with the Hall, Hall of Fame and yeah, educational department. We love you, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's the greatest. Um, yeah. so, so anyway, uh, I think I've done six lectures, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I've, you know, talked about, uh, pretty much each of my books except for one. And honestly, uh, it's, it's an honor every single time. Um, it never gets old. Uh, one time we were in the larger theater um, when I had Mookie Wilson with me, a book I did, did with him. And so the Hall of Fame each summer, thanks to Bruce, has what's called an author lecture series. Um, so he's kind enough to invite me up each year, and so um, so that's the reason that I'm up there. Now, is that uh, in correlation usually with a Hall of Fame weekend, or is that uh, a whole separate uh, time that you go up and do those lectures? No, um, the author lecture series um, is pretty. They get an author to appear at the Hall of Fame almost every week throughout the summer. Um, so um, Bruce will con- contact me when I come out with a new book and and we'll discuss, um, you know, possible weeks to get up there. And um, so that's, that's how it works. But um, generally Hall of Fame weekend is just, um, I mean, it, there's such craziness. It's not, um, yeah. It, it just isn't really feasible. I, I don't think they even have an author lecture series that entire week. That's for sure. And especially going to be nuts next year when they do both class of 2020 and oh. 2021. Absolutely. Yeah, next year, my God, it's going to be 
uh, the biggest weekend they'll ever have. And, you know, especially with Derek Jeter, um, you know, a Yankee, and, you know, the fans just have to drive uh, three and a half, four four hours upstate. So, um, you know, I mean, I cannot even imagine what that's going to be like next year. Yeah, that's a four and a half hour drive for me uh, in Jersey. I'm down by Philly, so it's not bad of a ride for me. But also, with your books out, and before all that, you actually started writing professionally at 14 years old. How did you get into that? Yeah, so um, my father was in the newspaper business. He worked in circulation uh, for, you know, the circulation department for say like seven or eight newspapers so I so as a kid I was always exposed to the newsrooms and and the archives um, where they had you know old clippings and photos and um, and I always you know from the time I was a little kid I always thought that you know writing whether it was for a school paper or for for a community newspaper um, was great because you know, hundreds, maybe even a few thousand people would read your words, and and it was almost like a sense like, wow, you know, I mean, this is pretty powerful. And so when I was 14 years old, uh, the editor of the Community Life newspaper in uh, Pascat Valley, New Jersey, uh, actually out of Westwood, New Jersey, that was the main office, um, I went to her and I said, you know, the eighth grade softball team just won a championship that I was on, and, and I wondered if she was interested in me writing a story about it. And she said that she was, and she enjoyed the article that I wrote so much that um, she offered me a job to turn in a weekly sports co- column, uh, which I did um, for the next four years. And then I would write features from time to time after that. Um and um, I did some stringing for the Bergen Record in, in New Jersey. Um, and that's really how I got into writing. Um, so between school newspapers and writing a weekly column from the time I was 14 and getting paid for it, um, that really turned me on to writing. Well, fast forward a few years. Obviously, the first book you were involved with was writing about Glenn Burke. How did you go about uh, approaching him, especially with his health issues at the time? Yeah, well, you're right about the health issues. Glenn Burke was on his deathbed. He was dying of AIDS. And I read numerous stories about him, you know, in the New York Times, the L.A. Times, um, you know, the Daily News, the Post. Um, So... Um, I was intrigued by the fact that here is a man, um, you know, a homosexual who played for the Dodgers and the Oakland A's in the late 70s, early 80s uh, in the macho world of baseball. And and I just – and now he was dying of AIDS. And, and it was such a tragic story because he went from playing in the World Series with the Dodgers in 77 against the Yankees to being homeless and um, and then contracting AIDS and and there was a car accident where he was bad badly injured which you know led to drug use and 
Um, it was so tragic, you know, going from Yankee Stadium and Dodger Stadium in the World Series to a decade later really falling on hard times and now, you know, end of life. And so I reached out to him through uh, Pamela Pitts at the Oakland A's, who was taking care of him somewhat, you know, made, making sure he was eating right and and so forth. And and so I wrote to her and said, you know, I want to do a book. And she said, well, you're not alone. Uh, 17 other writers and four movie companies are also interested. So uh, put together a book proposal and, and I'll give it to him. And, and so he had a stack of them apparently and liked mine best. And so that's how we came to doing the book together. Well, you know, we could talk all day just on him. But uh, two quick questions when it comes to uh, Glenn. Is it true that he invented the high five from what you accounted? But also, was it sadly true that Billy Martin really ripped into him for being gay? Well, it's both true, you know, and... um yeah, I mean, it's, it's really quite sad, you know. I mean, he actually was going to retire from baseball after getting traded from the Dodgers to the A's. Um, you know, he went from the best team in the National League um, at that time. You know, they had won back-to-back pennants in 77 and 78, and then he gets traded to the A's, who were, who were referred to at the time as the Triple A's. They were so bad, and um, I think they were drawing like 4,000 fans a game, and you know, so from going to a sold-out Dodger Stadium every night to the Oakland A's, and um, so he was going to retire, and then Billy Martin was hired by the A's, and he felt invigorated because, you know, both, both he and Billy were from Berkeley, California. And so he thought, you know, there's something in common. And um, so, but uh, Billy didn't really take to Glenn. He knew he was gay. And uh, according to sources with the A's, some of the other players said, as well as what Glenn, Glenn said to me was, well, you know, no faggot is going to play for my team. You know, this is Glenn, Glenn Burke. He's a faggot. And uh, so you, using that type of ter- terminology uh, obviously didn't set a very positive work environment for Glenn. And, you know, times have really changed. Um, you know, you, Bill, Billy would never have been able to get away with that today. Um, no, not at all. But, but he did then. And, uh, and so uh, eventually Glenn was sent to the minor leagues. Uh, despite being rather prospect, and um, and that was really the beginning of the end to his career. Well, when it comes, to, like I said in the beginning here, you've written many a book, with many different guys. When it comes to uh, transcribing your, I know with today's technology, you get to record things and everything else. But how do you take the information from the recorder to uh, transcribing it? What's the easiest process for you to? go back and get everything down on paper? Well, it's pretty much just as you described it. You know, I I record my interviews with my iPhone. Um, I upload it to Dropbox. Um, 
I send it out now to get tra transcribed. I used to do all the transcribing on my own, but it it started to greatly affect my uh, neck and back. And so I, I always used to think, well, by transcribing it on my own, I would get a better feel, you know, especially when I was co-writing, um, you know, with the subject, that I would become them, you know, if I – uh, transcribe their words that it would help me in writing their book, but you know to put it in their voice more than mine. But I found that I read over the transcript so much, and you know I break out the story, and uh, you know it's like a puzzle when you do a book. That I was able to capture the player's voice, whether I was doing the transcribing or somebody else was. Um, so that's really how I do it. Right on. So uh, as far as touching on certain subjects, at least with the folks you've dealt with, is it tough to uh, pry into certain topics? And can, do you like to go back and revisit that with folks uh, if you think something might get them in trouble, uh, whether it be bad PR or potential cost of job or whatever the case may be? I actually do, yes. Um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why in my books I get so much out of these players, you know, I really go deep. And a lot of these interviews really get emotional for the, for the subject. Um, it's because they trust me. They, uh, they know that I know what I'm talking about. And I've done the research, so I have the knowledge, but I also have a sensitivity uh, toward towards them and a respect. And there have been a few cases where I've gone back to the subject and I've said, look, you know, one of the things you mentioned to me was this. And, um, you know, you might get fired for this. Um, or, you know, you may not be able to get another job in baseball after this. You know, you know, this is what you said. Are are you, you sure this is okay? Can we go on the record with this? And they and no one has ever really come back to me and said, no, take it out. Um so it's worked out, you know, I mean I think being upfront with them, uh they respect the fact that I care about them. and um, But, yes, on a few occasions, I definitely have done that. Would that be uh, a la Lenny Dykstra? Because <laughs> I've heard stories of you having a conversation with him. Yeah. There, you know, there is one thing with, with Lenny that I left out. Um, I, in general, though, um, like the main point, the controversial stuff was left in. I'm referring more to, um, you know, in Kings of Queens uh, with what Wally Backman got into um, during his time as AAA man manager of the Mets. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Mookie Wilson in his autobiography and how, you know, displeased he was with some of the things that were going on with the Mets and how he was treated by, by them. Uh, while he was the team ambassador. Um, so, you know, but in both 
cases, they're like, no, it's good. You know, keep keep what I told told you in in those stories. Well, got to ask. I have two more questions here for you. First one, since you have written multiple books on the Mets, like you said, King of Queens, after the 69 series with Archansky, you know, and a couple others, going to be talking to Jay Horowitz tomorrow uh, oh. as it is taping. You got any good stories on Jay and dealing with him? <laughs> um, well, I've known Jay a long time, um, but... You know, the only thing I would say about Jay, I, you know, there's there are no funny stories or anything like that. But what I will say about Jay is how extremely well regarded he is by the current and former Mets players and management. Um, they consider him a confidant. They consider him. Uh, a close friend, uh, a protector from the media, um, and just um, just a tremendous um, asset. Um, they, they they really believe that Jay had the, had the best intentions uh, at all times. Um, you know, with you know protecting the play, players from. Uh, from the outside world. Um, he is revered and adored by uh, the Mets alumni, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, he's currently uh, a top guy for the Alumni Association there with the Mets, which is a newer thing. But I can say this in the short time been dealing with Seems like honest as the day is long, which is a good thing. Yeah, he is. And um, I'm really glad that you know, a friendship has developed between us uh, because, you know, I first got to know him with the Mookie book and, um, and you know, some of the things the Mookie was writing in, in the book, Jay, Jay was concerned about. Um, but since then, you know, I've written books with Davey Johnson, Kings of Queens, on the 86 Mets, After the Miracle on the 69 Mets. So I've gotten to know Jay really, really well. He's a stand-up guy, and I've really enjoyed working with him. And and I I haven't read his book yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's it's know, really good. I think you'll appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But last question for you. When you now, there's been several books with – like we said here a couple of times, involving the Mets after the miracle and Davey Johnson and Mookie and whatnot. How, but you've also done with Steve Blass. And how do you tend to market books specific for that particular baseball audience? Or do you just go all baseball audience? Doesn't matter. Um, so I would answer that this way. Um, if you're going to write a book, you know, you're you're going to dedicate the, really the next two years of your life to it. Um, you know, there's time where you have to do the research, the interviews, the writing itself, the rewrites, the rewrites after the copy editor gets a hold of it. I mean, you better be obsessed with what you're writing about. Um, so that's the first thing. So my books on baseball transcend the sport. Um, so 
you know, with Steve Blass, you know, you had one of the top pitchers of his time, um, all-star pitcher, World Series hero. All, I mean, overnight, just losing it. Um, you know, the inability to throw the ball straight anymore. Uh, and when he would manage to, and he'd groove one, and we'd get pounded. And it, it was just so sudden and inexplicable how that happened and how he had to reinvent himself into one of the great broadcasters of, of our time and most unique broadcasters of, uh, of our time. Um, in the sense, he, he's one of the great personalities of, of, of the game. Um, and with Glenn Burke, of course, you know, with, with, you know, his homosexuality in the macho world of baseball and the high five, which you t- touched on. And he did indeed invent the high five. I forgot to answer that earlier. Um, so, just these stories that transcend the game. Um, and um, so it's those two factors, you know, stories that uh, I'm really obsessed about and uh, stories related to baseball, but they're not about balls and strikes or how many all-star games you make. Uh, it's the story and how that story transcends the game and really overflows into human interest. Uh, those are the stories that I like to choose. Well, do you have any new uh, projects you're working on at, or will be coming out very shortly? I do. Um, I have a new book on the 86 Red Sox, um, Two Sides of Glory. Um, on the 86 Red Sox, that book is coming out next March. Um, I'm kind of glad I didn't have a book come out this spring. <laughs> with everything that can go for yeah. Um and I am working on um I'm looking at a book related to Fernando Mania in the eighty one season and how okay. that changed the landscape of of uh Dodger fans. Uh but um but that's in the very beginning stages yeah. that Actually, just spoke with a teammate of his, uh, Jerry Royce, uh, not too long ago, probably about a month or so ago. Oh, really? Another great baseball mind. Yeah, another great baseball mind there. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I know Jerry, and uh, he's a super, super nice guy who's who's doing the games in Las Vegas now. Yes. Broadcast. Exactly. And he's, he's a lifer, as they would say, that's for sure. He is, he is. Well, folks, if you want to follow up and uh, check out his previous books, The Order and all that, ericsermonbaseball.com. Eric, thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Ah, oh, come on! Yes.
Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increase in amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shot suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hi, this is Buck Joel, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 